Welcome to another episode of CQ, Cantilever's Contracts and Current Events. This is where we talk about the news of the week and our professions and a few other things we like. I'm one of your hosts, Chelsea, and I'm joined by my husband, Alex. Hi. Do you have a law question for me? I do have a law question for you. So as you know, barring some unforeseen circumstance... Kamala Harris will be our next vice president. Uh-huh. She will be the first woman vice president. Um, she will be the first vice president of Southeast Asian descent, the first African-American vice president. However, she will not be the first person of color to be vice president. The first person of color to serve as vice president was what ethnicity? That is the question. So, there won't be any, probably any multiple choice or anything like that. <laughs> so, we come back to that at the end of the podcast. And, okay. Uh, see if Chelsea can get That's a pretty easy one this week, guys. There's only one other person who's a person of color served vice president. Yep. Anyway, yeah, we'll come back to that and move on to our uh, news of the week. So, we're going to jump right in uh, to some election news. Obviously, uh, as you're listening to this, Joe Biden is projected to be the next president of the United States. There are still some things to do, final counts to do, and the meeting of the Electoral College to make it official. But it seems as if, barring some unforeseen circumstance, that he will be the next president of the United States. The president has filed a series of lawsuits across the country in several states. For the most part, these can be categorized as having been thrown out for no evidence of any type of election fraud. They filed a couple in Pennsylvania where the Trump campaign alleged that there were no observers allowed in the counting rooms. Uh, so, And that, that was the source of one of the funnier judicial interactions I've uh, seen this year, uh, which was Judge Paul Diamond uh, in Pennsylvania. The judge asked the Trump campaign attorney are your observers in the counting room? And the Trump campaign attorney responded, there's a non-zero number of people in the room, <laughs> which means that yes, there were people in the room. Yeah. More than zero. And then the judge asks, I'm asking you as a member of the bar of this court, are people representing the Donald J. Trump for president uh, campaign, representing the plaintiffs in that room? Now, that's very carefully worded language saying, good sir attorney, if you want to keep your license to practice before this uh, court, you had better answer this truthfully. Yeah. And when asked if there were people in that room, the, the attorney said, yes, there was. The judge says, I'm sorry, then what's your problem? <laughs> And then promptly basically dismissed the uh, suit that yeah. the Trump campaign had filed. Right. Now, there was another one in pencil, another suit in Pennsylvania uh, where observers weren't allowed close enough to the counting machines. A judge said, yes, you are allowed to be closer than what you are, what you have been. So they were allowed closer. Mm -hmm. And there was another sort of win in Pennsylvania where the Trump campaign asked for the absentee ballots that arrived after the polls closed to be segregated from the rest of the ballots, mm -hmm. which Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito wrote a, an order saying that they should be. The counties were already doing that, so it was a sort of win because they were already uh, doing that thing they asked them to do. Mm -hmm. um, so that was in Pennsylvania. 
in Michigan, they filed three different lawsuits all about the validity of absentee ballots, and all three were thrown out for a lack of evidence or hearsay. Mm. Chelsea, this is a, a mini law question. See, you keep doing this. That's not how this works. This is a mini law question, Chelsea. What is hearsay? Hearsay is when you basically claim that something has happened without evidence and it hasn't happened. Mm, no, but it's a good guess. So, hearsay is, I think this is the official definition, an out-of-court statement offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted. So, what that means in normal talk is that, let's say you heard John Smith say, I just witnessed voter fraud. And then you go to the court and you say, I heard John Smith say he witnessed voter fraud. That is evidence of you hearing John Smith say that he witnessed voter fraud. That is not evidence of voter fraud actually existing. So it's it can be offered as truth of you hearing John Smith say this thing, but it's not evidence that John Smith actually witnessed voter fraud. John Smith would have to go and testify before the court and say, I witness voter fraud. That would be evidence. Yeah. Got it. In in one of the Michigan cases, some one of the witnesses got a, a unsigned post-it note, and that was the evidence they were trying to use. And the judge said, No, that's obviously hearsay. Yes, I I will I will take it as evidence that you got a post-it note saying that there was voter fraud but that's not evidence that there's actually voter fraud. Please get out of my court. Right. So those were the general, that was the general uh, lawsuits in Michigan. The lawsuit in Georgia, the same thing. It was in a small county, or sorry, it was in a single county um, in Chatham County, which is where Savannah, Georgia is. Same thing as in Pennsylvania, um, the absentee ballots arriving after the, the polls closed, they wanted them segregated. The Trump campaign filed an affidavit from a poll worker who testified that he and this was in quotes, thought he might have seen late arriving ballots improperly mingled with ballots cast on time. That thought he might have seen, (laughs) thought maybe he could have seen something. That's not sufficient evidence, and they were thrown out. Arizona, there is an issue with what's called overvoting. Chelsea, what is overvoting? I don't know, sir. So overvoting is what is when that from? I don't know. It's from Harry Potter. Oh well, that's funny. Um, overvoting is where a machine detects a ballot that has selected two candidates for the same position. So, uh, so one person's ballot has two candidates circled. Basically, yeah, yeah. And so, but in that suit, only 180 votes were in dispute. Uh, the Arizona, President Trump's deficit in Wouldn't Arizona. Wouldn't they just cancel each other out? No, because the idea is that one of one of the votes was valid and one of them wasn't, or one of them was intentional, one wasn't. So, but again, it's 180 votes. Uh, air, um, Biden's like, lead in Arizona is substantially I feel larger like than that. 180 people just don't know how to fill in circles. That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, and then in. Nevada, there was complaints that a lot of out-of-state residents were voting in Clark County, which is where Las Vegas is. The, uh, the Republicans identified 3,062 people from out-of-state who had voted. 
in Nevada, like in most places, people are allowed to vote from out of state, mm-hmm. like people who are students yeah. or are in the military or their spouses. And But they're from Nevada. But they're from Nevada. They've got their permanent residence in Nevada, but they're going to school somewhere or they're deployed either at a base here in the States or somewhere abroad. And Fox News got a copy of the list and many of them were military members with called APO, which is like armed personnel addresses. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, that is also bogus. So that covers most of the big lawsuits that the GOP has filed. You know, the president is out there claiming huge voter fraud. Yeah. He's making like $100 claims and filing like two cent lawsuits. Yeah. It's it's nonsense. Listen, if if there is widespread voter fraud, I am here for it. Like I, <laughs> I will listen to you all day, but don't air it on Twitter. Yeah. Bring it to the courts. And if you can't, then just be quiet. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like all of these lawsuits are nonsense. And so, barring some unforeseen magical circumstance, like I said, Joe Biden's going to be the next president. You know, this is probably the first time the president has lost at something. And this is a big loss, right? Like, losing four years as the head of a country. Like, that's a big loss. And so, it's understandable that someone would be upset about that. But it's just embarrassing Yes. To watch yes. this old man throw a tantrum, kicking and screaming. Speaking of the president claiming sort of bogus things, there was something that was interesting on a news article that was talking about Pfizer and the vaccine that they've developed that is 90% effective. And yeah. I wanted to talk about that. Sure. So it's 90% effective in early phase three of its clinical trials. Okay. It And the president assumed partial credit for the scientific advance, but he also claimed that the announcement was delayed post-election to discourage his campaign. Yeah. And so those two things go against each other because if he is credited for the scientific advance, which he is not, then why would the second portion of his claim be true, which is that the announcement was delayed to disadvantage his campaign, which is also a bogus conspiracy theory. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, to talk more about, you know, the actual vaccine and Pfizer, which is a, a pharmaceutical company, right, and who announced the effectiveness of the vaccine like on their own right it hasn't been peer-reviewed or anything yeah um which i mean makes sense because everything's still new and peer review takes some time right it take it can take years they did a press release on november 9th and the way that like it could be described as this is the first interim analysis this is not the final result right so it's encouraging and exciting news, but it's still at the beginning stages or early stages. And there was actually a really good metaphor in this article that was comparing it to voting and how right now we can project that Biden has won, right? But we're still going to be 
recounting Georgia and different states. And so we're still waiting. Yeah. And I thought that was a pretty good analysis or metaphor for the vaccine. It's like, okay, we can project how well it's going to be, but we still have a lot to do. Yeah. A lot of counting, a lot of testing. So things like things that are still unknown that would need to become clear, I think, before the vaccine comes out are things like how long does the vaccine protect against COVID-19? Is it months, years, more? And something else is, will it help stop transmission from asymptomatic people? So those who are asymptomatic, does it matter if they get a vaccine or not? And then does it protect against the severity of infection is another major question. Because if you get the vaccine, but you still get COVID and end up in the hospital, then it's not effective. Right now, the vaccine claims to protect against mild cases, Mm. which means that you could assume that because it protects against mild cases, it could also protect against harder cases that would have gone into the hospital. Yeah. And it's still early to, too early to tell when it will be released, but Dr. Fauci predicts April 2021. Okay. Which would be kind of cool. Yeah. Because then maybe I could graduate. Maybe. maybe I could walk. Maybe. <sighs> the dreams of a master's student. So, very useful information, and hopefully that will continue on. They're going to do second trials, second and third trials, and then... Um, there was also something on there about how the FDA doesn't have to get pre uh, peer-reviewed. They can just bypass that, basically. And so there's some interesting talk about that peer review versus FDA just using their power to blaze on through to yeah, the finish line. Yeah, I think it's just because it's such an odd thing. Usually, I think it would be required... Well, and the FDA has its own, like, set of guidelines and things like that. So it's not like they would just be like, oh, yeah, it's great. You know, no, they would test it. They would put it through the ringer as well. Speaking of dreams of master's students, (laughs) I want to talk about New Mexico football. Oof. Yeah. This is the team, by the way, that UNM decided to keep a couple of years ago, I should preface this. A couple of years ago, UNM decided to cut several teams yeah. in order to, I don't know, I guess save money. Yeah, economize. Really, I think all that money just went into the football team. Possible. Which sucked at the time. Not very good. And still sucks. But let's get rid of the uh, New Mexico men's soccer team, UNM men's soccer team, who was uh, top in the league. Yeah, we Top were pretty five? good. Yeah, <laughs> consistently in the in the championship tournament. Ruining soccer players' careers. Yeah. Yeah. So disappointing. There was a petition going around. But that football, we got to keep it. We got to keep football. You know, football isn't even that popular here. Now, I, no, will, I, I will defend. What? We have one professional team. No, that's not true. Two. No. But. We have no professional teams here. Yeah, we do. Where? United? Soccer team, not football yeah. team. Yeah, that, but that's our pro team. Yeah, yeah, and it's and like a AAA team. And we used to have... Yeah, it's AAA. But 
And we have isotopes. I'm talking about professional football. Yeah, I'm talking about pro sports in general in New Mexico. We Mm. have soccer, we have baseball. I don't know if we still have... The scorpions aren't around. I don't think so. So no more hockey. hockey. Yeah. Yeah, and I do want to defend the football team a little bit. I know, I know. Go ahead. They have been okay this year. They have been. They've been close in the two games that they've played this year. They are on an 11 losing streak. I know they're on an 11 game losing streak, but only there's only been two games played this season, and this is the first year of a new head coach, so that transition period is difficult. And the reason why we're on a new head coach is because he lost nine games last season in a row. So I'm willing to give a little bit of leeway to the football team. Now, do I think they should have been saved instead of the soccer team? No, definitely not. They Their first loss in this 11-streak loss was sep- September 28th, 2019. I remember. That's like the beginning of the season. I remember when I was in undergrad and we were in the championship tournament in soccer mm-hmm. uh, against Duke. And the so exciting. game was sold out. It had been sold out for hours. And there is only one side of the soccer complex that has seats. Mm-hmm. The other side doesn't. Yep. There's no there's no one there. So there were fans who couldn't get into the game because it was sold out. Standing outside of the fence, there's like this sheeting over the over the chain link fence to like obscure the view a little bit and people were cutting the parachute cord my father was cutting (laughs) the parachute cord not damaging the the like signage itself so that that could be pulled down so we have a clear view and there were so many people out there yeah that is an indication of the popularity of the soccer team Mm -hmm. as opposed to the football team i have never seen the football stadium packed no. Not a single time. And I haven't, granted, I haven't been there very often, which is probably one of the reasons why it has been packed. But uh, I've never seen it packed, right? Whereas I have seen during playoff tournaments, the, the soccer stadium sold out multiple times. Yeah. And I've even been to a football game where Erlacher was there. UNM has a claim to Erlacher because that's where he went and where he played football. Sure. Yeah. Brian Erlacher. And. It wasn't even full then. Oh, no. I was there. Yeah, no. Yeah. No. A famous person came onto the field, and everyone knew he was going to be there, and it still was not packed. Not just a famous person. The most famous athlete from New Mexico, probably, Mm -hmm. and definitely the most famous athlete linked to the University of New Mexico. Right. And there was, like, nobody there. I was like, no, wow. Because we don't care about football here. No, we don't. But we don't. UNM is stupid, and they want to force something. See, this is just this is just a university who is high up on their high horse, who thinks they know what's best for themselves, and so, therefore, it's best for the community of Albuquerque. And they could not be more wrong. Yeah, no. In this instance and many others. So that wasn't even the news story I was going to talk about. So let's get to that real quick. So the New Mexico football team 
uh, is spending $70,000 a week to play in Las Vegas, Nevada. They claim that they're doing this because the, the result in a large payout down the road in distributions from Mountain West Conference and college football team playoffs is worth it. So far, it's not, um, because we've lost twice this year. But the reason that they're spending that much money a week is to keep their players in a Hilton so that they can play football in Nevada. Yeah. So that they don't have to travel back and forth, because if they had to travel back to New Mexico, they would have to quarantine for 14 Correct. days. And so this is, this is to allow 140 people to li- basically live yeah. the majority of the semester in a Hilton. Yeah. Yeah. So all that extra tuition money that I had to spend this semester, I'm wondering where that's going right now. Yeah, it is It is a lot of nonsense because y- you're getting less instruction virtually mm-hmm. and we're paying more money. Yeah. Well, we don't need to go there <laughs> because I just shouldn't. It is just infuriating. <laughs> so I have another New Mexico news update. Yeah. That is COVID related. So April 28th, 2020, when Trump gave executive orders, basically that meat plants and several other different types of food plants would be considered essential. Sure. Um, A lot of, like, places are clumping this executive order into the Defense Production Act, which is something that came into play years and years and years ago and has nothing to do with COVID, Um, except that Trump is using it to make it so that meat plants are essential, right? So Trump basically gave the executive order April 28th that meat plants and other plants are essential. Sure, yeah. Yes. And so, fine, right? Like, they need to stay open. We need to be able to have food. Like, totally understandable. On October 22nd, the governor of New Mexico issued an order that basically says if you have four or more positive COVID tests in a two-week period, you have to close down for two weeks. Yeah. And that's like sort of across the board, obviously not hospitals and like places like that. And the order is specific to those things. But that's like any anyone, basically. And this meat plant called Stampede Meats, which is actually out of Illinois, uh, they have a plant here in New Mexico. And they had six, I believe, positive cases in two weeks or less. And so the New Mexico Department of Health told them, okay, you need to close. And now the Stampede Meats plant is suing New Mexico and stating that you're going against executive orders from Trump because they, he has deemed us essential. And because of this defense act, which has nothing to do with COVID and nothing to do with this order that was given by the governor. They're also claiming that the threshold for closure is too small. They had six positive cases in two weeks, while at the plant there are about 550 to 575 workers. 
And so they're saying, like, that's too small of a number. Like, yeah, if we have hundreds of people who are testing positive for COVID, sure, shut us down. But six people in two weeks? No. So this is what I understood the lawsuit to be. They, they're saying that the the order from the state is unconstitutional. And as evidence of that unconstitutionality, they cited the president's executive order and the Defense Production Act. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. Something right. is unconstitutional if it's unconstitutional. It's yeah. not unconstitutional because it goes against an executive order. First off, the executive orders are nothing. They are literally words written on paper, and that's it. Unless yeah. they have to do with the operation of an executive agency, mm-hmm. which this does not have to do with the uh, operation of an executive agency. The president can issue executive orders on, for instance, immigration to a limited extent because Border Patrol, that's an executive agency, right? But this uh, meatpacking plant is not an executive agency or maintained by an executive agency. And the state of New Mexico is definitely not an executive agency. So that's bogus. Now, they're using the Defense Production Act because it's been it, it's been used to sort of step up production mm-hmm. uh, in the times of COVID, but I really that's really stretching it. I don't think this is going to be successful. So, they've had this plant has had over 100 positive COVID cases since like March. Yeah. So, but I, so have a bunch of other places. Yeah, but those other places probably have been shut down temporarily. Mm-hmm. So, I think this is probably going to... They're probably going to shut down. They have not yet. Yeah. Oh, really? No, they have not oh, yet. I thought that they had. No, they have not. They've just been told to. They've just been told to. Well, okay, look. The people from Stampede Meats, they're from Illinois. Sure. I don't know what the orders are there for COVID or COVID law there, but I'm willing to bet it's nothing like here. And in New Mexico, we have been extremely cautious, and these new orders are pretty strict uh, for New Mexico and um, and are affecting a lot of places. Yeah. And so I can understand why they would be upset, um, especially compared to their own state and the rules that they have to follow there. With that being said, they don't have a choice here, really. They have to follow the orders or not, and I don't know what will happen now that they haven't. Yeah, I think they're I think they're kind of shut down, but we'll see. Yeah, maybe they'll get fined. I don't know. We will give you all an update when we find out. You want to touch on your light item and wrap it up? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, guys, I know you're all excited as I am. Just a couple more days. My couple more days. I mean, tomorrow. By the time you're hearing this, it's out in the wild among us. <laughs> I'm, of course, talking about the PlayStation 5. Um, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I am a PlayStation fan. I have had... I don't know why you're excited. You're not going to get it. I know. My (laughs) wife won't let me get one. I have owned every PlayStation console that's... Well, every home console. I didn't own the uh, PlayStation Portable, the PSP. Yeah, and so why do you need another one if you've owned that many? Because this is the new the new hotness. That's why. No, uh, I am looking <laughs> forward to it. We'll see. They are pretty supply constrained right now. They all sold out all the pre-orders. So if I can find one tomorrow, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> uh, but 
probably have to wait a little while but i'm excited you know these sort of events only happen every seven to nine years or so goodness yeah we would be broke yeah and so like for instance uh, i i got a playstation 4 the year it came out and that was 2013 right so that was seven years ago so these still works just fine by the way no actually so i sold mine to my buddy aaron uh, because it was it was um and does he use it he does well he he used to use it he doesn't really anymore but but no so yeah i'm excited new games all that kind of stuff but that's all i got i'm i'm excited for that do you have a particular game you're excited about you know, I'm excited for the next God of War that's been announced. Ooh, uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales. Ooh, yeah, that had, sounds cool. Yeah, uh, is is a launch game. God of War won't come out until next year sometime, I think, maybe. But anyway, regardless of say, I'm excited uh, for whenever that happens. It's just, again, it's a cool thing to me, a new console generation. Yeah. Um, Chelsea, what's your light item? <laughs> so there's a program that's been going around... And it's started by the Institute for Classical Art and Architecture. And it originated out of Marymount in 2015. So this program has expanded to eight schools around the country. And they're going up, including in public schools. And basically what this program is, is it's like a week-long program that teaches kids about architecture. And so in this article, it talks about one school, which is only a girl's school, and they go around looking at famous architecture around their town, around their city. Nice. And they learn how to make models, mostly out of, you know, like... Popsicle sticks. Yeah. Marshmallows. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah. Fun things. But it... You know, this article is talking about middle school from 6th to 8th grade. And I don't know, it's just really encouraging and really, really cool. So they spend a week long and they don't do any other work. Hmm. Like they go to site visits, they get, they are given lectures and work with famous architects. Names like Sarah Magnus, Michael Romero... And even take classes with people like James Boyd of Boyd Reith. So it's not just like someone stands up in front of the classroom and they listen to a 45-minute lecture. No, they're like building models with these uh, famous architects and like the architects are really pouring into the school. So I don't know. It's really great. It's really encouraging and something that I wish that my school had done. Yeah. Um, There was no whisper of architecture at my high school we didn't even have like a woodworking class or anything like that the closest i ever got was geometry and i don't remember that class (laughs) also interesting so they show pictures of the girls like doing the or putting together the models yeah and each one like it's covid times each one has their own desk they're wearing masks and there's plexiglass surrounding their desk. But yeah, really, really exciting. I remember my first year of architecture school, but it was in the spring. So it was technically my third semester. And as a school, we did a week-long project together. 
And it was more art-based, but um, so you could draw, but you could also build models and things like that. But it was based on this lecture that the entire school went to, both undergrads and graduates. And at the end of the week, we displayed our work. Mm-hmm. And each individual did it. Yeah. And so there's like hundreds of students working on the same thing. And it was just a really cool experience to have that many students bond over one project. And so in studio, we were able to walk around and talk to each other about the same project. And so I hope that these students get that experience as well. It's, It's a really great bonding experience. All right. So let's get back to my question from earlier. Yes, your question. Yeah. And my question was, the first vice president who was a person of color was what ethnicity? I'm just going to go with Caribbean. So Caribbean. Caribbean. So like, would that be like African descent? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) So. I guess so. The first vice president of color was a man named Charles Curtis. Okay. He was originally a senator from Kansas, and he was a member of the Ka Nation which means that he was a Native American. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and he was vice president from 1929 until 1933. Hmm, cool. Under Herbert Hoover. Ah, so, okay. What so, was his name? Charles Curtis. Charles Curtis. Yeah. Okay. So the first person of color who was vice president was Charles Curtis, a member of the Con Nation. And with that... We will wrap it up. Thanks for listening to another episode of C-Cubed, Cantilever's Contracts and Current Events. We are thrilled that you listened and stuck through it with us. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Give us five stars. Leave a review. We also have our Gmail attached to the pod notes. So feel free to ask us questions. Send in questions that we should ask each other that have to do with architecture or law. We would love to hear from you. We'll see you next time. Bye.